the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God's providence and man's will. How do you reconcile the two? Well, there's definitely a wrestling match to be found here. One we'll look at out of Job chapter 21. Next, on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Hello once again, and welcome to this Thursday broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Today we continue looking at Job. It's a marvelous journey we have found ourselves in the middle of, and right now we're in chapter 21. Wrestling with Providence is the title of our message. And our final look at this message is we understand providence from God's perspective and how we square it up with the sometimes challenging thoughts we have when it relates to our freedom or our will, our ability to do. Let's check in with Pastor Gary Wagner, shall we, for a final look at Wrestling with Providence here today on Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary. We're aware the king is on the throne, and we must still stand before the judgment seat. You must. And beloved, I won't be there to help you. And you won't be there to help me. And your wife will not be there to help you. Nor your husband and your parents won't be there to help you. We will all stand before the Lamb. And our only hope on that day is that we have believed in Him and confessed His name. Because we live in God's world. And in God's world, no one gets away with anything. Think on this, beloved. Read 2 Peter 3. Go back and read 2 Thessalonians 1 and read 1 Corinthians 15. So much in the New Testament is written to encourage us to be sober and to be vigilant. Our lives are short. We're going to stand before Jesus Christ the Lord to give an account. So let us labor to be found in Him. Let's not envy the wicked or choose any of His ways. Job concludes his answer to his friends in verses 22 through 34, and he makes one simple point. But remember how he began in verses 1 through 6. You should be astonished with me. Verses 7 through 15, listen, the wicked don't always get what they deserve in this life. And verses 16 through 21, the judgment is coming. Therefore, verses 22 through 34, We can't teach God how to govern the world. Notice he says there in verse 22, Shall any teach God knowledge? You know, it's good to just be reminded. Can can you imagine a kindergartner going to his little morning class and standing up and telling the teacher, I'm teaching class today. Now that begins to give us some idea, but it doesn't even touch the grander grandeur of this. Some of you may really like math. 
And let's say you wake up one morning and uh, there's a grasshopper on your desk and that grasshopper says, I'm going to teach you your calculus lesson today. What? You're going to do what? Or let's say you see a small little dust mite floating around in your living room. And the dust mite looks at you and says, I'm going to tell you how to run your home. Now, these things are laughable. But this is very often what we do with the Lord when we think we're going to teach him how to do things like Job's three friends are doing here. Job says, seeing he judges those who are high, God knows all things, he judges all things. We are weak and we must stand in awe of him. And Job goes back and forth here. Verse 23 and says, there's somebody who dies in full strength. And he's probably speaking about the wicked. He is holy at ease and quiet. His belly is full. He has everything he could wish for. Another man dies, probably a godly man, with bitterness in his soul and never eats with pleasure. Well, this doesn't seem right to Job. But in verse 26, they're all going to lie down in the dust and the worms will cover them. Every one is going to die. Everyone is going to stand before God to give an account. And that, beloved, is when all the wrongs, all the wrongs will be righted. So Job says, verse 27, I know your thoughts. I know what you're thinking against me. For you say, verse 28. Now this is what Job's friends are saying to him, because Job is directly talking with them through this whole uh, chapter. Where is the house of the wicked? This is his friends. Where is the house of these wicked princes? God always knocks them down. Job says, verse 29, Do you think you have experience on your side? Ask anyone who travels around and they'll show you where wicked men are living in great power and wealth and at ease. So you don't have experience on your side. Experience refutes your platitudes. Verse 30, because the wicked are reserved for judgment. He doesn't always receive it in this life, for he will be brought forth to the day of wrath. But he doesn't always receive it now, very often in this life. Verse 31, no one ever comforts a wicked man. He's too powerful. He's too great. Confronts, sorry, a wicked man. He's too powerful. He's too great. Everyone is afraid of him. Yet, verse 32, he will be brought to the grave. The wicked man thinks, verse 33, that death is going to be an everlasting sleep and it will be sweet. I'll die just like everyone else has died before me, and everything will be okay. So Job says to his friends, listen, we can't teach God how to govern the world. You are comforting me in vain, and there are more lies than anything else in your so-called wisdom. Now let me just draw a few things from this by way of concluding. Job is undoubtedly the victor when it comes to his theology. But notice that Job's good theology did not insulate him from suffering. It's easy to fall into this. 
We realize that in our day, there seems to be a lot of ignorance. People are ignorant of the Bible. And even in the church, people sadly go to worship to be entertained as much as for any other reason. You know, we come to church and we got to listen to this long-winded guy and we have to listen to Bible reading and, oh, we get to sing hymns and we think everything is going to be okay. But you notice in Job's life, his theology is right, but he still suffers. Because, listen, the purpose of theology is not to preserve us from suffering, but to help us when we do suffer. To give us hope and encouragement when it is my turn to lose my job, or it's my turn to get a disease, or whatever God in His wisdom may bring into my life. I don't need to think that God doesn't love me because something bad happens to me. God may be using this bad thing, quote, unquote, to be the very means to show me. God says, I am faithful. I am good. I am merciful to you. I am your strength. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to chasten you here, my son, by bringing this tribulation into your life because I want you to be a partaker of my holiness. I don't want you to go through life like the wicked do and never be confronted about your idols. I don't want you to perish, so I'm going to confront you. Like David said in Psalm 119.67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. Think about that. Before I was afflicted, before I had whatever it was, maybe sickness, maybe I didn't even have enough to eat, whatever it was, I thought I could live on my own terms, but then God chastened me. God touched me. God brought difficulty into my life. And now I've learned. I can't live like I want to. I need to live in submission to God. So we need to labor to have good theology. But we need to remember the reason God reveals himself to us is not so we won't suffer. It's so when we do suffer in his wisdom, We will run to him and trust in him. Case in point, something happens in your family, being a staunch Reformed Presbyterian. People will probably say to you, remember, providence in your life. Yeah, I know providence controls everything. I know God is in control. But at that moment, it didn't work for you. Why didn't it? Because very often we hold on to theology kind of like we hold on to our tax records or our gas receipts. You know, we put them in a file and we shut them in a drawer and say, I might need those out sometime, but I don't really live by them. But you see, for us, God's word is to be very different. When a brother comes to us and says, you know, God is in control of all these things. We don't say to him, where did you get that off some bumper sticker? We say, thank you for reminding me of something that if I wasn't reminded of it at least a thousand times a day, it would not be enough. My father loves me. 
He's making no mistakes in my life. Whatever he does is good. Even if the short, in the short term it is painful, it is good. He is good. He loves me. Thank you for reminding me of this. We need to be very careful that when God teaches us his word, we actually use it and apply it to ourselves and hold, fast to our, hold it fast to our hearts. Job was doing this. That's the only reason Job didn't do what his wife told him to do. Job, curse God and die. Job said, I will not. Because I know the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And even if I don't understand what's going on, I also know that we cannot teach God how to govern our lives. We cannot tell him, I don't want that God. God, like I don't care what you want. Do you think I govern the world by your whims and by your references and by your lifestyle desires and where you want to go and what you want to look like and what you want your health to be? I am the governor of the nation, so submit to me and trust me. I am your father and I love you and I will always do what is best for you. There's something else these verses remind us of very powerfully. When we read something like Psalm 37, do not envy the wicked or choose his ways. We may think, well, I'm not like that guy Hitler. And I don't go out and perform armed robbery. And I'm certainly not an adulterer, so I'm good. I don't envy somebody like Bernie Sanders, so I'm good. I'm clear. Just check it off. Well, he's not talking about the worst examples. He's not talking about those, if you read Psalm 37 and Psalm 73, who are notorious serial killers and megalomaniacs in world governments. He's talking about average people that we rub our shoulders with, who don't seem to have the troubles that we do, who don't seem to go through necessarily the things that we go through, and they're not believers. And it seems like, Lord, I'm a Christian, and The longer I'm a Christian, the more you sift me and the more you try me and the more I'm forced to give up this sin and then that sin and I'm forced to reevaluate my life and I feel like Asaph did. Every day I chasten myself before you, O Lord. But you know that guy in the cubicle next to me? Or or my friend down the street? He, He just always seems to be happy and carefree all the time. Nothing ever seems to bother him or even ruffle his feathers. And you know, that's why people wind up compromising the faith and choosing what I call a more casual God and holding on to Christian discipleship very loosely. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, when iniquity increases or abounds, the love of many grows cold. Why is that? It is because when we see sin increasing and God doesn't strike it with a lightning bolt, we assume, wait a minute, it must not be that big of a deal with me indulging in this private little lust. It must not be that big of a deal to curse just a little bit. You know, I stub my toe. What am I supposed to say? Thank you, Jesus. It must be must not be that big of a deal. The preacher's just trying to keep everyone on edge. How do we avoid thinking these kinds of thoughts? We need to remember the cross and the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no idea 
It is very dim. It is very dim for me, and I'm sure it's very dim for you. And if it's not, you need to come up here and teach us just what it will be like when those books are opened, when your book is opened, and when you stand before the Lamb of God, who, as John describes him metaphorically, his eyes are like fire. And the metaphor means he is searching. He knows every secret, every dark place, everything in the past that I just kind of throw a rug over. That dusty sin that I just swept in the corner so no one could see. The books will be opened. So we need to avoid thinking certain sins are no big deal. And if we're going to run to Christ now, if we're going to hold fast to our integrity, even if it seems like the world is getting away with their wickedness against God, we need to remember the cross. This is the price of sin, the blood of the Lamb of God. And that one day He will come and the trumpet will blow and the voice of the archangel will shout and the world will stop rotating. This world will stop and the heavens will burn up with a fervent heat and there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and in which only the righteous will dwell. And who are the righteous? Those who look to the Lamb of God. Those who look to Christ, who believe in His blood and righteousness and obedience and who trust in His faithfulness. So when we hear this, what are we supposed to do? One, set our affections on things above. Make sure this week you begin with fellowship with the one who is fairer than the sons of men. You've got to take time to have fellowship with Christ, my friends, and to get to know Him personally. Grace is poured out from His lips. He's the only one who has life, and He's all-powerful. So we have got to set our affections on Him. That's what Paul said in Colossians 3.1. If you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your affections on them because you go toward what you love. If you see people seem to be getting away with what they want to do, that really, I know, strikes a chord in your heart because you are still fallen. And we all still have a lot of curse resting upon us. And we think, well, they're getting away with what they want to do. So why can't I get away with what I want to do? Oh, you know, of course, I won't do it as bad as they do. And I'll keep it in check a little bit because I want to be respectable and I don't want to really sin bad. The only way to overcome that kind of thinking is to remember I I am standing before Christ and I, I love Him and I want to please Him. I want to be found in Him. I want to know Jesus and walk with Him in obedience. And then that helps us finally when God says, Okay, David. Okay, Stephen. Okay, Lynn. Okay, John. Okay, Gary. I'm going to touch this idol that you've been hanging on for for a little while. I'm going to bring some chastening into your life. Maybe it's not even related to any particular sin, like in the case of Job. Maybe, though I know as your father, that you need to be reminded of your weaknesses. Maybe your, 
You've lived with pride all of your life. It's kind of been just below the surface and it's never really come out so that you walk around with a t-shirt that says, look at me. But it's there. You tend to look down your nose a little bit at other people. You think you know this such and such. And if he were just a little more knowledgeable and faithful like me, he might not be going through what he's going through. And suddenly God says, okay, enough of that. I'm going to touch it. Maybe it's a long-standing sin from your youth. God says enough is enough. I'm going to touch it because I love you. And I know sin makes you miserable. So I'm going to pull this out of your life. And oh, it may hurt. And the pain may not go away quickly. And it may even leave a bruise. And then what do we want to do today in the church? Oh, no, no, no. No bruises. You see, we want a book. Suffering for dummies. Three quick ways to get over something without really having to deal with it. Or three ways to pray for God to change the situation so I don't have to suffer. That's not how God rules the world. God says, you are my children. So I'm going to touch it. And it will hurt. And maybe it'll leave even a bruise. So you don't go back to that pet sin. Remember, God sends trouble to his people because he wants us to aspire for that day when there is no trouble and there are no tears and no disturbances, just him. And we receive the everlasting kingdom that he has prepared for us, which we only enter through faith in his son. So don't forget this. Job is right. The wicked oftentimes do receive their good things in this life. Because that is the only good they are ever going to get. We oftentimes receive trouble. Because God our Father, because God is our Father and He knows we need to be holy. We need to be chastened. And He will bring us to His eternal kingdom where He will wipe away all of our tears. So what will be our song then? Oh, God, I wish my life on earth would have been easy. No, that definitely won't be our song. Our song will be, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace and your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness, your everlasting love. Thank you for no more tears. Thank you for that crown of life. For God is in our, our inheritance, and he is our eternal reward. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Job's wrestling because we need to wrestle. We need to, as Jacob did, walk with a limp for the rest of our lives. But it is better to wrestle with you and obtain the blessing of understanding, of submission, of wisdom, peace through obedience, peace through trusting than eternal agony. We pray that you would teach us these lessons. Teach us to walk by faith. Teach us not to complain when things don't go according to our will and we are afflicted. Lord, help us to remember that when you chasten us, it is so we might be made partakers of your holiness. Thank you that you have taken us out of the world of unbelief. Oh, we know, Father, that we still deserve to be there. 
We know we still deserve to be receiving the good things of this life with no warnings, with no trepidation over the wrath that is coming, just going on our merry way down the broad way that leads to destruction. Oh, thank you. Because after saying all that, we could spend the rest of the night in thanksgiving and still not exhaust the reasons we should be so grateful for your blessings. Let us live lives of gratitude in obedience for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.